Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man means you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that talk, matters. matters. Transforming, Transforming truth, truth to power, 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 one broadcast, one broadcast, broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Where governments lie, God does not lie. Where governments change, God does not change. And I'm through now. But let me leave you with one more thing. Governments fail. The government in this text, comprised of Caesar, Quirinius, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman government failed. The British government used to rule from east to west. The British government had a union jack. She colonized Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, and Hong Kong. Her navies ruled the seven seas all the way down to the tip of Argentina in the Falklands. But the British government failed. The Russian government failed. The Japanese government failed. The German government failed. And the United States of America government, when it came to treating her citizens of Indian descent fairly, she failed. 
she put them on reservations. When it came to treating her citizens of Japanese descent fairly, she failed. She put them in internment prison camps. When it came to treating the citizens of African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. By terror, away from the Sioux, the Apache, the Arawak, the Comanche, the Arapaho, the Navajo. Terrorism. We took Africans from their country to build our way of ease and kept them enslaved and living in fear. Terrorism. We bombed Nagasaki and we nuked far more than the thousands in New York and the Pentagon and we never batted an eye. I am a Children after school, civilians, not soldiers, people just trying to make it day by day. We have supported state terrorism against the Palestinians and black South Africans and now we are indignant. As a historian of religion, that we are miseducated as a people, and because we're miseducated, you end up with with the majority of the people not wanting to hear the truth because they would rather cling to what they are taught. James Washington, a United States Church historian, says that after every revolution, the winners of that revolution write down what the revolution was about so that their children can learn it, whether it's true or not. They don't learn anything at all about the Arawak. They don't learn anything at all about the Seminole, the, Cheek, the Trail of Tears, the Cherokee. They don't learn anything. No, they don't learn that. What they learn is 1776, Christopher Saddix would throw one black guy in there, um, fight against the British, they're terrible. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal while we're holding slaves. Don't keep that part out. They learn that and they cling to that. And when you start trying to show them you, you only got a piece of the story, let me show you the rest of the story, you run into vitriolic hatred because you, you're desecrating our myth, you're, you're desecrating what we hold sacred. And what you're holding sacred is a miseducational system that has not taught you the truth. I also think people don't understand condemn, the E-M-N, the A-M-N. They don't understand the root, the etymology of the word in terms of God condemning the practices that are against God.
Dr. James Combs puts it this way, the God of the people who are riding on the decks of the slave ship is not the God of the people who are riding underneath the decks as slaves in chains. That the God you're praying to bless our slavery is not the God to whom these people are praying and saying, God, get us out of slavery. Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr. will forever be linked to the historical 2008 presidential campaign of the then-Senator Barack Obama. Although unwillingly thrust into the spotlight, the media attention could never overshadow Reverend Wright's prophetic teachings, nor does it define his life and ministry. Tonight at Our Common Ground. Reverend Dr. Susan Williams-Smith, the author of the book of Jeremiah, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., joins us. This book examines the man, an African-American, a patriot who served his country, a scholar, a prophet, and a pastor. Smith provides a comprehensive picture of Reverend Wright's shedding light on his upbringing, teaching, and preaching influences and the far-reaching effects of his ministry on Barack Obama and the world. This is Our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned with our guest, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, author the book of Jeremiah Wright. of Black History Month. As you know, in 2014, at Our Common Ground, we have declared Black America a state of emergency. So we're pleased to have you with us tonight as we look at one of the people who will go down in history as a black hero, both politically, culturally, and spiritually, and we're so honored to be able to talk about a new book published, um, hit, the, hit the stands about three weeks ago, the book of Jeremiah, the life and ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., with the author, Reverend Dr. Susan Williams Smith. And um, I want to take a moment uh, and I guess this is a disclaimer. <laughs> I love Reverend Jeremiah A. Wright. And if you have been on our co- common ground for any time during these 29 years of broadcasting, you will know it. Our first interview, I went back in our records, was in 1985 with Reverend Jeremiah A. Uh, a. Wright. And we did another interview in 1960. Uh, 93, 
and another interview with him in 1996. So we are so very pleased to put Reverend Jeremiah A. Wright's life in perspective as we celebrate Black History Month in 2014, and thank you for being with us. And I want you to take a moment, if you would, and think about what you are going to do for the remainder of the year about this thing that matters, Black History Matters. Let me introduce my my guest. Uh, She is Dr. Susan K. Smith, Reverend Dr. Susan K. Smith, and she is the senior pastor of Advent United Church of Christ in Columbus, Ohio. She is a 1986 graduate of the Yale Divinity School, and she earned her master's there and received her bachelor's of arts in English literature from Occidental College and her doctor of ministry from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. She is a former reporter, and she worked for newspapers in Baltimore and Texas before entering seminary. She also served as an associate producer for WJZ News, as an on-air news reporter for WEAA, the radio station affiliated with Morgan State University in Baltimore, and she was also a talk show host for a program in Columbus, Ohio, Columbus Today, a locally heard radio program, and as an on-air political commentator for a news magazine television program also produced in Columbus. Following graduation from Yale Divinity School, where she served as the first woman to be president of the student body, Dr. Smith served as associate minister at Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago and studied under the Reverend Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright. She served at Trinity for three years before accepting the call to pastor at Advent United Church of Christ. She is the author of four books, Collar and Anning, From Calvary to Victory, Forgive Who, and Crazy Faith. Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives, which is currently in its second printing. Her work has also appeared weekly on the Washington Post as a member of a panel of theologians, scholars, and writers who comment on issues pertinent to religion. She's a mother of two children, Caroline, a recent graduate of Spelman College, now studying music therapy at the University of Dayton, and a son, Charles who is writing and performing music. And we are so very pleased to be able to bring her on our common ground where truth and insight is sacred. Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, thank you so very much for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. I do want to mention that, uh, and not in passing, that she is currently the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow at the Spirit House Project in Atlanta. It is a national 
501c3 nonprofit organization that uses the arts, research, education, action, and spirituality to bring diverse peoples together to work for racial, economic, and social justice, as well as spiritual maturity. And you at Our Common Ground know the Spirit House very well from our dear sister and Our Common Ground voice, uh, Dr. Ruby Sales. Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Janice. Thank you a lot. As I was listening, I realized I must have not sent you my updated Vita because I'm I'm uh, no longer the pastor at Advent United Church of Christ. You know, I said I, I, I when I was talking, I was thinking I said former, but you are the former. Um, former, and, yeah. Okay. Yes, you are the yeah. former. Um. Uh, senior pastor, pastor of Advent right. Church of Christ. And my, and my beloved daughter is, yes, a graduate of Spelman, but she also went to uh, University of Dayton and got a second degree in music. So now she's a, a licensed music therapist in um, in Indiana. So I like to get that straight because the sister and works hard pra- and the mother's practicing in Indiana And the mother's now. still paying the bills. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand so, that. I have a daughter who is approaching her 40th birthday uh, this spring, and uh, she has a two-year-old. And I told her she would be paying college tuition from her Social Security check. (laughs) But we we are. Dr. Smith, first tell us, you know, I don't know if, I, I know that you and Ruby Sales are working uh, very close together, and I work with uh, Ruby through the um, Gray-Haired Witnesses for Justice at the Spirit House. How did you begin this project with of Ruby writing the life of uh, such a – he has such a huge life. You know, he does have a huge life, huge life, and this book only begins to touch on it really quite, quite honestly, but – when all of that um, drama happened in in connection with the 2008 presidential election, um, and the, I was mortified, Janice. I was mortified with the way the media treated him, the way they misrepresented him and his ministry. I was mortified and offended, really, at how some black people who had been really helped by his ministry kind of left him in the dust and, you know, kind of, you know how people will do when they think you're down, that they want to back away from you. And I really quite frankly think that people were wanting to be on the right side of the line in the sand and people wanted to be, wanted to make sure, I'm talking about black people, black clergy, wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that they, you know, got invitations to the White House. I hope that doesn't sound too crass or too cynical. No, it doesn't. Actually, I was one of those people. Uh, that said, uh, I don't care how they're playing this, I don't care how they're seeing this, and I don't care what they're saying. I know Reverend Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright, and he is always in the truth. Always. He's always been in the truth, and he has never... One of the things I always admired about him is, is that he never changed his message. He never equivocated. It didn't matter... He could have a full house of black people. He could have a half house of black people, white people. He could have all white people. It didn't matter. He told the truth, and it was never, ever, ever about hatred. It was never about hatred. 
And so for people to um, to characterize him as this hate-filled, vitriolic, you know, person, I was just incensed. I was so mad about it. And so um, I just decided at the point that um, I needed to write about it. I needed to write about it. It was just bugging me. It, it bugged me and bugged me and bugged me. And, and I was also offended because... Um, I didn't like it that so many black people like got chicken feet, you know, and they were all, all of a sudden people who had been moved and blessed and transformed, maybe some of them, maybe they weren't, maybe that was all a game. I don't know, because I don't see how you can listen to um, truth like that, truth, historical truth, economic truth, sociological truth, and theological truth, all wrapped up together. How can you listen to that and sit under that and then, you know, walk away from it and give in to the, you know, the, pop, the you know, public um, outcry against them? I was... I was so mad, Janice. I was so, so mad. And so I thought, I have to try to uh, do what I can. He didn't ask me to do it. I mean, he wasn't even particularly, you know, hooping and hollering that I did it. But I had to do it, I think, for me, uh, and with the hope that perhaps somebody would read this and, and get maybe, maybe a larger um, picture than what the media gave him uh, in terms of trying to depict him as this, like, um, crazy old man who had outdated, you know, values and, you know, trying to to cast him in the light of somebody who was irrelevant because, of course, the United States had, um, you know, had um, elected its first black president and we were post-racial and I thought, oh, no, uh-uh, I can't, I can't, I couldn't sit still. So that's why uh-huh. I, um, I decided to do it. Well, how did you, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Smith, one of the things, too, is I wanted to approach him. I was on the air at the time, and I wanted to approach him, and I thought it was the wrong thing to do that whatever we could do, we should be doing by letter writing. And I did write a letter uh, to uh, President Obama probably around the third week after he was uh, elected, um, and, 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 and so when you decided that you wanted to do something, uh, how open was he in terms of opening up his life at a very uh, tenuous time? I mean, you know, really, honestly, he wasn't all that open to it. And I think, I mean, he, he trusts me as a person. He trusts me as a writer. He doesn't trust, you know, he, I don't think he knew what... Um, you know, publishers and stuff would do. And I don't know, in his family... When you are betrayed in that way, you are human. And your right. response is pretty much uh, what all of us would be, feeling betrayed and, and untrusting. Right, right. And so I understood that, and so I kind of had to work, you know, around that because at the end of the day, what I wanted was to, to just try to set the record straight, try my best. And I realize, you know, it's naive to think that, you know, people who, who are just going to hate him are going to be, you know, moved or transformed or their minds are going to change because they they read what I've written, but perhaps one or two. And if there's one or two, then I'm thinking, okay, then I've done what I'm supposed to do. I asked um, my um, editor, so what do you think about this book when it was done? And she says, well, I think you did what you want, what you set out to do. You set out to broaden the perspective and the picture and the um, the overall picture of who Jeremiah Wright is. 
And she said, some people are going to agree with you and some people are going to fight you to the nail. And I thought, well, if that's what happens, then I've succeeded, you know, because, you know, I, 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 I need, you know, there needs to be dialogue, I guess, but more than that, there needs to be some people that say, you know what, we were wrong. And, in fact, there's a, a friend of mine, a white friend of mine, and I told her that it was coming out, and then I said to my Jeremiah, right, and she said, oh, I don't want to, I don't, you know, she just went on to a call thing, I don't like him. I said, but you don't know him. I said, you don't, I said, you don't, you, you listened to a couple of sound bites, which were totally inaccurate as sound bites would be, and said, you, you, you don't know him. I know him. I've studied under him. I've learned. I've grown. I've been transformed under him. I said, and if you want to be fair, because this lady's always talking about how fair she is, then read it. Just read it. So she ordered it, and she's reading it now, so we'll be able to see what, what happens. But I was, I was, I wish I could cuss, but because I, I was really ticked off, I was ticked off at the media. I was, and it wasn't just Fox News. You know, it's kind of easy sometimes. You know, so Fox. It wasn't. I think CBS was the first one that started carrying those. I can't remember which 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 network. I think it was CBS started carrying those um, sound bites, and all of the major networks um, did it. They didn't bother to research it. They didn't bother to put it in context. It was like they were after ratings at the sake of or at the expense of the life and ministry of a man who has done nothing but tell the truth and transform lives. So how can we sit still and be crying about that? I mean, I just, I didn't understand it. So, and I still don't understand. You know, I, don't under, I don't understand people being quiet when something needs to be said and people need to be challenged. So well, that's you know, why, there's uh, another side to that and, and uh, to, to, to that whole event as as CBS and other n- news network and the corporatists came after uh, Barack Obama, and the other side of it is that the people on the street understood the truth of the clip. Oh, oh yeah. And oh, there yeah. were people who, I mean, people like me, I mean, I knew very little about, with the exception of what I knew about uh, Senator Barack Obama, uh, who had run a campaign against uh, Rush in Chicago, and that's mm-hmm. about all I knew about him. I knew that he voted against the war, but when this whole thing started with Reverend Wright, it brought me to my senses, actually, about mm-hmm. doing the proper analysis on who is this man and my first reaction, a lot of people on this program, our audience in this audience, was saying, you know, it brought me to some sanity about somebody that I don't know. And um, why is he throwing a, his pastor of 20 years under the bus in this way? Yeah, yeah, I hated that. I hated that. And, I mean, and I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine doing that to a pastor of two years, let alone 20 years. But so when you approach Reverend Wright and you said, we're definitely going to do this, how did you, with his schedule and with his heavy load of writing and speaking, how in the world, and that was one of the questions I had uh, for you when we were booking, how did you ever get him to sit down for a few minutes? Well, I, I really, I mean, I, I mean, he and I really talked. I mean, I've known him over the years. So a lot of the stuff that is in the book is stuff that I had gotten over time. A lot of the stuff, I mean, 
to be really honest, he didn't want to sit down for this book. He didn't want to. So I had to piece together stuff that I had gotten and known about him from the time I've known him, and I had to go to other sources to get the information. Um, mm-hmm. He knew what the book was going to be about. I mean, he, you know, I sent him the um, the, um, the uh, proposal and the outline and all that kind of stuff. So he knew all of that. But he really, to be really honest, he just really wasn't really all that enthusiastic about it. Um, but he didn't say don't do it. So, I mean, that's how it kind of came to be. So we didn't have a lot of sit-down, you know, one-on-one time. Uh, we just didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Now, for you in this, in this essentially storytelling and putting together a, bi- a, a biographical picture of who this wonderful, and I, I think he's one of the most wonderful human beings that right, walked the planet, but in, in what was the most important thing for you uh, that you wanted to get into as part of his life? Because I know very little, except for in interviews with him, uh, about uh, his life as an early adult. Um, I, I know a little bit more about his growing up than I do about his, you know, because you don't ask people about their more more contemporary history. You tend to stay with the with, with early history. <laughs> so yeah, what yeah. did you want to what did you want to accomplish? What was most important for you to accomplish in this book? I think the 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 commitment that he had from the very beginning to um creating uh, a ministry that was just wider than this this ministry of just a personal, you know, one-on-one relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. he realized that it had to be wider. He he, he he listened to people like Martin Marty who said, you know, people in the, in the church need to know what's going on in the world. He listened to that. He was profoundly affected by his father when he was a little kid. He used to sit in his father's library and just read books and books and books and books. Over so the time he got to, you know, high school, college, seminary, he was way ahead of everybody else. He had read stuff even when he didn't really understand it. But he was very, very heavily influenced on um, Carter G. Woodson and all the stuff that he read in his father's book. That was one thing. The other thing that was, was, was profound, because he really wanted to be a professor. That's what he really wanted. But when he got to uh, doing some pastoral work or some associate pastoral work in his early ministry, and he was at Beth Eden Baptist Church in Chicago, he says that he realized that young people didn't know anything about who they were. Black kids didn't know anything. They didn't know Zora Neale Hurston. They didn't know Paul, uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. They didn't know Langston Hughes. They didn't know any of their, 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 their social history or their political history or their, you know, just the history of them as black people. And he realized that, you know, there was something wrong with that. There was something wrong with our black kids not knowing who they were. One of the things that would always profoundly affect me in his preaching was to, be, was to always say you have to know who you are and whose you are. So who you are is the part with, that black people in this country, many of us, you know, have shied away from because of racism, because of white supremacy, because of people trying to make us feel like we are less than. And 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 he said, well, no, that's not, we're different. You know, that was another underlying thing. We're different, but we're not deficient. In fact, we're quite glorious. And so he began this very intentional ministry of making sure that people, black people, needed, would know who they were. And, yeah, God is important, absolutely. But it's, you know, because of God, that you are who you are. You, 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 are, you are something to behold. He, he pointed out, you know, the, 
in the Bible. That, you know, he said, you know, we, we have bought into the white Jesus. But that's, that's not really true. You know, the biblical origins, little elementary things, Janice, that, you know, people would like to look over because black churches, don't really look it up so much, but that the creation of people took part, took place in Africa. It was liberating. It was it was empowering. It was eye opening. It was transformative. It was and and when I was there, what I noticed is that you know in most churches on Sunday morning when I grew up, I don't know about anybody else. You know, people grow up and they come in with their little you know their little perms and their little church hats and all this kind of stuff and their Sunday best and all that. What I noticed in Trinidad, I, am, I grew up most, Southern AME. <laughs> okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, but what I noticed is that you know people, as I watch, you know people would come in with their African stuff on, man, and they started, you know, natural hair was like in. It was just so in, and and it wasn't it it it, it wasn't like a it wasn't not like a, a fad. It was a statement, like yeah, you. White world, you can't define me. You can't make me any more feel that I am no good or that I'm nothing or that I'm less than. Uh-uh, you can't do that. And I saw it. And it was like the energy in that place, the positive energy in that place was absolutely transformative. So you put that in combination with, you know, the messages that were so theologically sound and then historically sound and you know, just just like like stitching a, a cloth together that made finally a group of religious people see their place in the world, and there was nothing. Like, one of my friends said that the Trinity experience when he was there was magical, and I think that is the correct word. It was absolutely. magical. Yeah, absolutely. I have um, I, I I live temporarily in Hoffman Estates, uh, Hoffman Estates, uh-huh. Illinois, uh, for three months. I was out there on mm-hmm. a case and decided rather than coming in and out that I would just find a, uh, be out there for the three months. And I attended Trinity during that time. Mm-hmm. And my parents were very, uh, and this was back in 1984-85, and my parents were very, very uh, inquisitive about why I was going to Trinity. And I said, because everybody I know in Chicago says that's the church to go to. Oh. And it was was, indeed um, a a, a transformative experience, even for my AME self, um, (laughs) (laughs) to to, uh, be able to be part of that service, to be able to, and it it was during that time that it was the first time, even though, um, uh, it was the first time that I ever met uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, and mm-hmm. and he was a wonderful pastor to me for for mm-hmm. three months, mm-hmm. um, and it was during it was during the time that there were very few women executives that was mm-hmm. doing the kind of travel and doing the the senior level work that I was doing, and he was very interested in the fact that I was married and I had a child and how I was you know being. Uh, the environment in which I had to negotiate and and juggle. And I I was very impressed that he understood the issues that not only a woman executive would have, but a black woman executive, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, it was was very interesting. He was very, uh, I remember he he thought it was very humorous Mm 
uh, mm-hmm. that while I was there, I got sick and the, uh, with a really bad cold. And um, the hotel manager had called in his personal physician uh, to attend to me, um, and he thought that was just wonderful. He, you know, he says, hey, you're getting royal treatment in a hotel that 15 years ago no blacks ever stayed in. So he was – you can look at his ministry. You can look at the the kinds of things that that you are re, that you are recounting in this book, and understand that this man was bigger and is bigger than life for in our community. Transformative, and you know, it's one of the one of the things. One of my friends said that he tells a funny story in a number. He says, "Well." He said, um, I was, he said, I was going to the church, and then I went home and told my dad, you know, because my dad didn't go to church. He believed in God, but he didn't go to church. And I told my dad about, you know, Trinity, and, and um, he said, he said, I kept telling Dad, you need to go, you need to go. Because he said, one day I looked up, and, you know, Dad was gone, and then Dad and Mom were gone. He said, shoot, and I had been going to Trinity for a while, but I looked up, and my dad joined before I did. And he said, the reason why he said it's because Rev allowed us to be men. He allowed us, he, he just wasn't judgmental. He didn't talk about, you know, you were bad and going to hell if you smoke or drink. He allowed us to be men. He allowed us to, you know, he, 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 um, he, he taught us that there was a place for us, black men. He said, because what, 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 and I'm paraphrasing people, I hope people will read the book and find this part, but. Um, he said something about um, um, many black churches. What they had done is they so catered to the to the women, you know, and they kind of you know kind of made it so that there was no place for black men. And so after a while, black men just kind of dropped out of sight. But uh, uh-uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, he said because he was a dude and he understood. And he said, and he and he made us be men, and he taught us the difference between being yeah. like a man and a baby donor. So I mean, just phenomenal stuff. And so he, he said, you know, that that Jeremiah Wright helped save black the lives of black men. Now, when you look at that, Janice, that is critical because although this is now this is just one of my beasts. This may not be anybody else's beast, but I have always had a problem with the fact that there's so many churches in the black community, and yet. So many of our black men are not connected. You know, they don't, they, they you know, there's so, so many problems connected with this disconnect that we have in general with white society. Well, that didn't happen in Jeremiah's church. I mean, and these brothers, these brothers not only went to church, but then they went out, these strong, professional, Absolutely. you know, talented yeah. black men, and they would go out to the school and they would visit these schools and they would become, pre- uh, uh, I would call it a ministry of presence for these young black boys who didn't see doctors, who didn't see lawyers, who didn't see businessmen. These men transformed within the ministry of Jeremiah Wright, then would leave out of there, and they would go into the community and minister to these little black boys. You know what, Janice? It doesn't get much better than that. And that's you why know, I'm so matter, out. Go ahead. Go ahead. It, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it's it's um it, it 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 and that's not what many people do. We get you know we get caught up in you know we want to have a mega church and everybody you know sit sit and 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 hoop and holler. And don't get me wrong, I like to hoop and holler too. That's good and all. But after you hoop and holler, then what do you do with it? 
And that's what happened. He, he had a, a This a is why street. I think Dr. Susan, and I know that everybody calls you Dr. Susan, <laughs> Reverend Dr. <laughs> yeah. Susan, um, that this book is so important. Because one of the things that we also do in our community is that we think of black history as dead people. And we've got to start looking around in our midst, right in our present, and identify the people who have had the power and the courage to ignite us, right. to transform us, and, and as my dear, dear friend Dr. Julia Hare would say, help us move over the bridges that will take us safely across. And to your point, I've got a clip that I, I want you to and the audience to listen to because I think one of the most important things is to have not only to know this man's life, which is why this book is so important, to know it from our eyes. And that's what you bring, uh, Dr. Susan Smith, to our history is to bringing, bringing him alive for us, not in defense of the evildoers and the evilness that has come upon us, but for us. And I've got right. this clip, and I want everyone to, to listen closely uh, to what, to, 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 to the stuff. The, the way he preached is the way he lived, is the mm -hmm. way he interacted and has been able to do the transformation work that is so important uh, in viewing his life in the context of everything that he has done. And, and after this clip, I do want to talk about how brilliant he was, uh, how he studied, how he influenced and encouraged people around him to study. So, so take a look at this. If you, if you really... I say, you know, like Toni Morrison always said that when you read her book, Jazz, you should put on some jazz. I say when you read this book, you should put on some Jeremiah A. Wright sermons. And here's a, here's a piece of a sermon that he delivered on that very point about increasing our wealth through the development of our people. Verse 10 ends. Luke says that God's terms derail our limited ways of understanding. We want God to come and get them folk who've been hating on us. <laughs> we want God to come and reverse the order of things that we consider important. We've been down... Now it's our turn to be up. We, we want to be top dog. And we want God to fix it so we can run stuff now. Those are all categories from our limited ways of understanding. See, we say the Savior is for us. God's got some good news for us. We ain't had nothing but bad news for so long. We done forgot how long. We had Pharaoh under Egyptian oppression, bad news. We had Nebuchadnezzar under Babylonian oppression, bad news. 
We had Caesar, Quirinius, and Herod under Roman oppression. More bad news. And under American oppression, we had a Thomas Jefferson who called and considered our men hopelessly inferior while sleeping with and making babies by a black woman he considered to be infinitely superior to his own wife. Bad news. We, we had a constitution in 1787 that defined us as less than human. Bad news. We had a civil war where white folk fought and died to keep black folk in slavery. Bad news. We had Reconstruction dismantled. Bad news. We had Andrew Jackson. Bad news. We had one Reagan, two Bushes, Strom Thurmond, Trent Lott, Sean Hannity, and Bill O'Reilly. All bad news. Our limited understanding says it's time for God to come and get all them folk and give us some good news. But look if you will, at the good news on God's terms. Look at verse 10. It ain't for us people. It's for all people. It was not good news for the Palestinians under Roman oppression. It was good news for all people. God had come to put things right and to get back all people to home base. God's terms derail our limited ways of understanding. God's terms disturb pretenders and politicians. God's terms disrupt the status quo. And God's terms derail our limited ways of understanding. When God comes, God comes in God's own way. Say in God's own way. When God comes, God comes in God's own time. Say and Susan, that is one of the things that I think that you do with this book. You show how this man, this Jeremiah A. Wright, has been able to put his theology in the context of our real, living, authentic lives. I love it. Right, right. There's nothing like it. There's nothing. It's so refreshing. It's so. I mean, it's like he, the, the ability that he has to take those biblical to just show that nothing has really changed. That oppression has always existed. That all that stuff has always existed. Bad news has always existed. To take what happened back in the Babylonian times and times of the Assyrians and the Persians and the Romans and the Greeks. That's still happening now. It makes the people connect to the Bible and, and, and gain a different type of strength from it. And it's like, well, doggone! If it is, if, if it, it's, it's kind of like a, like a leavening of what um, our parents would say, our grandparents would say. You know, they, you, you come through a whole lot of bad stuff. Life ain't been no crystal clear, yada yada yada. But you don't really see it in terms of the biblical stuff, but the way a lot of people preach. Until you have somebody like a Jeremiah who just really kind of sold it all together. And shows that nothing has changed and that this God that was back there is the same God that's here. And if those people made it through, then we can make it through as well, even in spite of oppression. Man, that's some liberating stuff. That is powerful and it's liberating. So if people could get done, you know, you read about the way the Romans oppressed people, how they were, you know, but lying people up. People, because crucifixion was a common thing, and they lined people up who have been crucified along main roads. I mean, so the people who who were walking the roads could see what happened to people who challenged the um, the government. That you know that's familiar because of the lynching and stuff that happened here in this nation. Well, that that 
Yeah, so it wasn't just Jesus being crucified. It was an oppressive government sanctioning lynching or, or lynch via a cross hanging back then. It happens now. And if people could get through that then, then we can get through this now and we're going to be all right. We have to have, you know. So his message, the reason it was, it was so empowering is because, one of the reasons is because he took all that history, ancient, you know, pre-biblical history, history biblical history, American history, world history, Theology in the midst of all that, mix it up together and sort it together and say, this is what we got to work with and this is how we're going to get through. And it just did something. It was it was just something. And the other thing that, one of the things that was empowering is that, you know, you know, growing up, I used to talk about good hair, good hair, bad hair. Um, and it, he, he was the first minister I heard say, because my mama used to talk about this all the time, but he was the first minister I heard say, there ain't no such thing as good hair. What you talking about? If you got hair in your head, it's good. You know, little things like that that had done so much to um, make us as people feel like we were less than. You know, you better embrace that nappy hair of yours. And you know what? Women began to do it. Yeah, this is a nice hair here. But then it began to lock it and braid it and with gay lays on it and all that kind of stuff. That in a, in, a, in, a, in a society and in a country which had told black people that they were ugly, inferior, and, and uh, you know, had no worth. Absolutely empowering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The book is The Book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, and the author with us tonight, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. It's groundbreaking. There is no doubt about it. And it really gets to... You know, one of the things I can't wait, I have a 12-year-old grandson, and I can't wait uh, to, to, to uh, have him read this book. Aww. Because our children re- really need to understand that when you put in the work, when you decide who you are going to be, right. Then that's half the that's half the battle, and that there is someone that they can touch, folks. We can touch Jeremiah A. Wright, and 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 and, and Dr. Susan Smith. I really thank you for doing this book because it is a genuine. It gives us a genuine understanding of our living black history, our contemporary black history. Because this is a man who, in the tradition of the black church, addresses the issues that are important to our people. And at a time where the black church is under fire, underused, minimized, demonized, and falling Mm -hmm. apart, we really need to understand that powerful, brilliant people like Jeremiah A. Wright can build a faith community, a spiritual mm-hmm. essence that can bring us to help us survive all this other stuff. Because, uh, uh, Dr. Smith, maybe you know some things, but I- I'm really confused about exactly how we're going to survive all of this in yeah. the era of Obama. Right. Well, you know, the, one of the things that I'm hoping that the book will show, too, is that even though the media president him is this hate-filled person, 
It is so far from the truth. He never preached. He never, ever, ever, ever preached hatred ever. And he used to say, everybody black ain't your friend and everybody white ain't your enemy. He would, um, because his, his message was that God is love. As well, so you need to be about loving yourself as well, talking to us correct people. Uh-huh. But also, uh-huh. you know, he talked about the government. So he did what we call a Jeremiah uh, criticizing the government. But he wasn't tell, saying that all white people were bad. The government was bad. Policies were bad. You know, he said bad news. They were unfair. They were unjust. But he was not. He was not. He was not. And is not one that preaches hatred. He preaches that you need to open up your eyes, you need to be aware, you need you know, to notice some things, you need to know what the, what, what the government does, you need to know how the government is complicit in your misery, yada, yada, yada. And that is the truth. But he never once preached hatred. And I defy anybody. And they took that, 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 um, that no, 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 goddamn America is completely out of context. Well, you say that whole thing for people, white and black, and I've done it. People say, well, he's just telling the truth. He's doing, exactly. He is just exactly. he is just laying down what what actually happened. His stories. This isn't anything he's made up. This is stuff that he's studied. This is in history books. Any historian will tell you. Yeah, this happened. This. That doesn't mean that everything he says is right or everything. You know, you don't ever, ever agree with everything mm-hmm. anybody says. But in terms of what he's laying out, it is it is historically factual. And so Absolutely. you know, you cannot say. Anger at the government, yeah, you can be angry, and that's okay to be angry. At the end of the book, I said that caused us a, a, a tragedy of, of, of Shakespearean proportions because if there was a flaw, and I don't think it's a flaw, but if there was a flaw that, they, that the media latched onto that he was angry, you know, how about everybody's allowed to be angry but black people? We're not supposed to be mad. With, you know, you can be an angry white man, you can be an angry black man. They don't want President Obama to be an angry black man. Oh, my God, be anything but an angry black man. There's a, there's a reason now to be angry. But what I said, it's, it's an anger that that, um, that, that, that that people latched onto or the media latched onto, and they made it into something that it was not. And it ended up pitting two men. I think this is a tragedy because... What Jeremiah Wright's message was was one of empowerment for the very purpose of empowering somebody like a Barack Obama or somebody else to keep on reaching through all of the oppression to be what you could. So at the end of the day, what he had done, and one of the goals of his ministry, which was to empower, he empowered a young man, but because of the media and the way they played it, these two men who should have been locked together, arm in arm, were pitted against each other, and that's a tragedy. That should never have been. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Reverend Susan K. Smith, who has served as Minister of Music, uh, pastor. Um, uh, She has sung for professional productions, including a promotional uh, performance of The Lion King, The Chocolate Nutcracker, with uh, country singer Lyle Lovett. And she was a co-president of BREAD, Building Responsibility, Equity, and Dignity, a multiracial, multiethnic social justice organization comprised of over 50 different religious denominations in the city of Columbus. She is currently the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow at the Spirit House Project, and we're talking with her about her new book, that you, it is a must-read, The Book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., 
and if you do not read it, you have not done properly by your study of black history. I'm Janice Graham, and we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more. And take your call, 614-ICU, 513-ICU, and we'll take your calls. We'll be right back. We bombed Grenada and killed innocent civilians, babies, non-military personnel. We bombed the black civilian community of Panama with stealth bombers and killed unarmed teenagers and toddlers, pregnant mothers and hardworking fathers. We bombed Gaddafi's home and killed his child. Blessed are they who bash you. Injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of pushback talk radio. The Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network, Fridays, 10 p.m. And I'm running into mothers who sit down and complain to their three and four-year-olds about how bad times are. So I never heard my mother complain. If she did any complaining, she would be complaining to her girlfriend. But you see, some of us have even gotten alienated from our sisters that we don't even have anybody to talk to, so we talk to our children as if they were adults. They can't solve our problems. We were given these children to solve their problems. But what were some of these proverbs that these women mentioned? And these proverbs, we understand, are the daughters of experience. And one woman who was born in 1877 said, To thine own self be true, then thou cannot be false to any other person. You're known by the company that you keep. Old people say, were you with him? You'd be saying, well, I didn't do that. Or were you with her? If you were with them, then you were guilty. One that I like is that any frog is a fool if he does not praise his own pond. We hope you'll join us on February 22nd as we continue our celebration of Black History Month here at Our Common Ground. Joining us, Dr. LaFrances Rogers-Rose. She is a clinical sociologist, professor, community leader, and consultant. She is a Fulbright Fellow to Africa, a past distinguished sociology scholar, and of course, my soror in the sisterhood of Delta Sigma Theta. 
Dr. Rogers Rose is an editor of The Black Woman, a comprehensive social psychological look on black women, co-editor of Every Black Woman Should Wear a Red Dress and River of Tears. She is also the co-author with her late brother, Dr. James T. Rogers, of Strategies for Resolving Conflicts in Black Male and Female Relationships. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose, founder and CEO of the International Black Women's Congress, will be joining us here at Our Common Ground, February 22nd, and I'll be listening for you. Declare real, raw, and right now. Join India Declare real, raw, and right now. Fridays and Saturdays, 11 a.m. It's the I Declare Friday and Saturday brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday. India Declare at the I Declare brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live. Friday and Saturday morning. 11 a.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. What do you really know about our past and our history? It's the annual Our Common Ground Black History Month interactive black history knowledge game. 25 questions. 10 points per question, and you call in and give us your answer and your score. Join us February 15th. It's Black History Facts. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. February 15th, what will you score on our common ground? Got something else on your agenda? After I got over being smacked down, I got down to business. I realized that the system, our denomination, the United Church of Christ had in place in 1977 for choosing deacons was as far removed from Act 6, look out among you and pick seven who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of far as far removed from Act 6 as Sarah Palin is from the possibility of being called intelligent. For 16 years, Trinity Church was founded by the United Church of Christ in 1961. For 16 years, our deacons had had no training. The nominating committee just picked out the names of some men. Back then, there were no women deacons. They picked out some guys who came to church pretty regularly when it wasn't golf weather. And the nominating committee asked those guys if they would like to serve for three years as a deacon. What'd that do? what a deacon do? Black suit on first Sunday, lifted benevolence, offered for the needy, served communion to the sick. I had two people on the sick list in 1972. That's all, no big thing. Sure, I'll serve. 
I had as a result deacons who could not pray. Nobody ever taught them to pray. My, they would grab a UCC hymnal if I called on one of them to pray and read the hymnal and the printed hymnal out of the prayer out of the back of the hymnal. No one had ever taught them what it meant to say yes to being a diaconia, a servant. Nobody had ever taught them the historical or the spiritual meaning of being ordained. Nobody had ever taught them that stewardship was a spiritual discipline. So after I got over being put in my place, I put in place a 15-month training program for persons that the congregation was going to ordain to the diaconate. And during that training program, I lifted up Philip as the historical deacon that I challenged each deacon at Trinity in training to emulate. Philip knew the scriptures. How can you be a deacon in the church of Jesus Christ and not know the scriptures? How do you call yourself a deacon and be hiding when Jehovah's Witnesses ring your doorbell on Saturday morning? <laughs> they know more scripture than you do, and they know how to twist it out of context. How do you call yourself a deacon in Chicago, where we are, the home of the nation of Islam, and go to ducking and hiding when somebody tells you that Christianity, deacon, is the white man's religion. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to Janice. And thank you for being with us tonight as we discuss with the author the new her new book, The Book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright Jr., who is Indeed, a soldier of love and a living testament of black history. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Smith, for being with us. Uh, We do want to talk to you about your fellowship uh, and at the Spirit House Project. Uh, You are the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow. And we want to talk about what you are doing in regard to this, but I do want to encourage all of you to buy the book. It is a history book, and history matters, and we need to understand that history also lives. Right. It it lives, and and it is so uh, uh, appropriate, I, I think, to. Uh, to listen to, to Dr. Jeremiah Wright talking about how you develop the people around you to do the work. That's real leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that when you read this book, folks, you'll, you'll understand the model that we have to use as we go through our community activism, and judge, measure our leaders. 
Susan, this is a, 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 just a, 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 this was, this was an opportunity that was waiting and you had so much courage in, 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 in claiming the opportunity and bringing life to some truth about this man's life that we really need to understand because it's a, it's like a roadmap. History is a roadmap. Yeah, I remember when I was in seminary, I was taught by um, Cornel West, and one of the things he always demanded of us before we studied any philosophers that we, we read their lives, it, it does make a difference. It does make a difference in how you receive and understand what they write. So, yeah, yeah you're right. Our number is 347-838-9852, and I do want to remind you and invite you to join us next Saturday night as we do the annual Our Common Ground Black History Game online. There will be 25 questions, 10 points for each question. We'll pose the questions. Uh, we'll delve into some historical background relative to the question, and then we'll take your calls about what your answer and what your scores are during that time. Joining me will be Master Miles Graham, who considers mm-hmm. himself a black history s- scholar. And he'll be joining me as my co-host on next Saturday night, and we'll see how mm-hmm. that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, let's go to our phones. And coming up first, 614, you're on the air with Dr. Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. Good evening. I hope can Good you hear evening. me. Thank you for joining us. First of all, I want to say hello to my pastor. Pastor, this is Louise Cooper calling. And Hi, congratulations. Congratulations. Can I sing, Pastor? No, no, sing. Please don't sing. <laughs> 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 standing joke. No, don't sing, Louise. Uh-uh. <laughs> I, okay, I won't. <laughs> oh, goodness. I am definitely going to buy the book, and I will do that before the end of the month. I want to know, Pastor, has there been any conversation between President Obama and Reverend Wright uh, after what happened in 2008? I have no idea. I really don't. I don't know. That's a good question, but no, I don't know. Okay. Because I, I watched that unravel on TV and I always took it with a grain of salt, and I always wondered uh, if they had a chance to sit down and talk. But I, I'll definitely be buying the book, and congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We hope you'll join us every Saturday night as we um, – I know some of you all are out there putting rollers in your hair for church in the morning and <laughs> shining your shoes and ironing your shirt and all kinds of things. Uh, But we're here every Saturday night at 10 p.m., and we hope that you will join us. Louise, I'm going to put you on mute so you can continue to listen, and thank you very much for your call. I'm sure Reverend Smith is very happy. See, that's what happens when you have good people in your congregation, good people in your congregation, and they support you in in what you are doing. Um, I can't seem to get Louise on mute. Oh, you want, do I need to press something to? 
No, you don't need to press anything. I'm pressing and, and the little wheel just going round and round. 513, you're on the air at Our Common Ground, a sanctuary for truth from the black point of the event. Thank you for calling and um, joining us tonight. Hi, this is Peter Matthews calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. Reverend Peter. Peter. How are Two you? Two of my favorite queens on the air at the same time. I think <laughs> oh, I should just yeah, die and go to heaven. Oh, yeah, you better believe it. I should just <laughs> die and go to heaven right write now. it down. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Uh, I, I am excited, too, uh, about the book. I have gotten my book on order. Um, one of the things that I think that... Uh, I appreciate about Dr. Susan for writing this book is to put up the notion of black genius. Um, Thank you. Society has never done well um, with the notion of black genius. And Mm -hmm. I was, um, when you look at him as a historian and a linguist, uh, someone Mm -hmm. that has served time in the armed forces, um, I was wondering, uh, what was your encounter like, uh, even with the, the publishing industry, uh, dealing just with the whole notion of black genius? We, we, um, I think I, I thank you, uh, BJ, for providing this wonderful platform for us to talk about issues. And I think uh, the thing that McDonald's and other corporations have trouble with is what you said, is that black history lives. It's not that it's in the past. There are some people like the two of you that are making history now. And I was just wondering, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, when you were dealing with the notion of black genius with the different people in the industry, the publishing industry, um, how, how do they wrestle with that? You know, because I, I, it's funny, right? No one ever says what he said was wrong. They're just mad yeah. that he said it. Right. <laughs> right. You know, the, the, um, that's a good question, and I'm so glad you called in, Peter. Um, but I don't, I don't get, I didn't get much of a of a feel that um, that they were in touch with the whole notion of black genius. That's a really good question. I think that, um, well, like, like my um, editor said, she said you 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 presented you presented a um, things that are going to make people think. And I think people in the publishing industry, white people, black people, Americans in general, don't think much about the black experience, period, certainly not in depth. So when they read things um, about, you know, and some of the things that Jeremiah Wright has said and they see the genius and they see the truth, I think really... It kind, of, it kind of shuts people down. It's like, oh, we don't really know what to say about it because they're not, they don't ever, it's easy to deal with with um, your own truth or a lie. But when you see the truth written down and you see it, it, for people who have never wanted to deal with the fact that, like Jeremiah Wright says, different is not deficient, cause, so I'm different because I'm black, but I'm certainly not deficient. I think when you see mercy. that right. in writing, I think it does something to they just have to be quiet. Um, I am interested to see how some of my white brothers and sisters who read this book come off, you know, thinking because what I try to do is put a lot of historical stuff in there. So, to, so I'm trying to, to, to sew a thought together to put Jeremiah Wright's ministry in a, in a large context, in a historical context. 
And it would be interesting to me to see if somebody white um, looks at that, and somebody black, because many of us don't know our history, don't want to know. So we look at it in context, what that does in terms of the concept and conception of black genius. That's a really interesting question, Stephen. There's something else I want to interject in here, and I think that part of what happened in the history of Reverend Wright uh, regarding what white people know of him is that they were in shock that a black church was promoting a black value system that encouraged African Americans to support itself. Right, right. And and, and you know from the beginning, it seems that uh, when when President Obama made his, uh, announced his candidacy, they asked asked, um, him not, Dr. Wright, not to go out and pray publicly. He prayed with the family in uh, in the holding room before he walked out. And I've written a little bit about it, not like you, Dr. Smith, but you almost feel like there is um, a father and son thing being played out that was even, like you said, the whole Shakespearean tragedy is that there was a father and son thing being played out. And it was just mm-hmm. all very sad. Yeah, very, I really very believe sad that. to me. And so yeah. I, I, I was not more relative to the rightness or the wrongness of what happened. It just it was just all very sordid and very sad and um And wrong. And wrong. Because both of them were dealing with some really raw emotions. Because mm-hmm. you, you kinda got the feeling and and you know what and I would love to hear you talk about it a little bit is that the the notion that uh there is no Barack Obama without Jeremiah Wright. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. The rhetorical devices, the cadences in his speech. There yep. is there's no one yeah, there's no there's no President Obama without Jeremiah Wright. And there there's and you know another what? dimension to all of this and, and that is that um that I would also like uh Reverend Susan to 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 address is that the big loser here was Barack Obama. No question. No question. Right. No question. No question about Well, and because this will get me in trouble with passing my little white church here in Ohio, but part of the question, too, was we now know that there were two white men that always gave Barack the final word of advice when he shut the door. Not Valerie Jarrett, but two white men that shut the door that were very pro-Israel, and that was a decision that the president made. Uh, and <laughs> the, the, there it goes. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, you also wonder what a President Barack Obama would have been had he had the council and mm-hmm. trusted the council and could act on the council of a Reverend Jeremiah A. Wright. Where would we be? Yeah. Dr. Susan, what Certainly you wouldn't be with him cutting signing a bill on yesterday that actually snatches food from poor children. Yeah, and I think you're right, uh, Janice. I think that um, Jeremiah Wright, you know, when they were at the press club and 
at, when he was at the press club and that and that um, that whole yeah. horrible experience. But the one thing that he said is that woman was just kind of raking him over the coals. And he said to her, Barack Obama is a politician. I'm a right. profound mm-hmm. and truthful. Politicians, you know, you can say one thing. You say whatever you want to say to get elected. But at the end of the day, politicians are, are uh, the government is not run by, you know, politicians. The government is run by business. Business, the people who paid for you to, to inspire that's you. Right. To that's people, right. That, that's, that's who right. runs the country. And, and if you want to get reelected, then you have to do what the money says. And that's just, that's just basic American sociopolitical history. And so if, if, if Jeremiah Wright had, if, if Barack Obama had had the benefit of having counsel, I'm almost sure he would have made some different decisions because Jeremiah Wright would have reminded him in his role as pastor, who was supposed to remind us of what, what God would want us to do, he would have advised him now how much, how much influence that would have ultimately had because Barack Obama is a politician and because Politicians are run by business. I don't know, but I know that he would have heard some advice, probably a whole lot different than what he's gotten. Yeah, and at that pre- on that was on um, April twenty eighth of two thousand and eight at the National yeah. Press Club. One of the things that he said that uh, essentially angered and caused a vitriolic rage in white America, in America, he said, Louis Farrakhan is not my enemy. He didn't put me in chains. He he did not put me in slavery, and he didn't make me this color. When he muttered the words of Louis Farrakhan, game over for all those people. Well, but I think at that time, though, too, he had just made that speech in Detroit, and he was right. acting out of his own pain, too. I think that's right. what uh, Dr. Smith was talking about, how raw the emotions were. It yeah. wasn't that yeah. he couldn't it, it wasn't that he could not have not said something different or not done anything, but the fact that the then senator did not reach out to him and have a conversation as a man, he understood mm-hmm. what, the, what was in terms mm-hmm. of what was going on with history. But that's mm-hmm. what I think that Dr. Smith is right on the point when she was talking about the raw emotions and the fragile emotions of the male ego uh, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. got kind of diluted in all of that. And it's not mm-hmm. that at that point you're not just talking about what, uh, what the truth is. It's what when you dispense the truth, how you dispense the truth, and why you dispense the truth. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the, right. the other thing is that they killed his friend. You, know, mm-hmm. you guys know that uh, Gaddafi uh, was uh, his friend. So you can't yeah. murder his friend and murder his children, mm-hmm. his friend's children, and not expect him to have a visceral, raw, emotion-filled response. Yep, and as as you point out, uh, Reverend um, Dr. Susan, in the book, uh, when uh, he was asked by um, uh, an interviewer in June of 2009 whether he had spoken to President Barack Obama, um, who had taken oath of office like five months earlier, he replied, them Jews aren't going to let him, meaning Obama, talk to me. I told my baby daughter that he'll talk to me in five years when he's a lame duck or in eight years when he's out of office. 
They will not let him talk to me to somebody who calls a spade what it is. I said from the right. beginning, he's a politician. Right. I'm a pastor. He's got to do what politicians do. That's right, and that's just the raw truth. And if nobody and likes that, to and that's the raw, the raw truth. truth. And there's not. nothing. There is absolutely nothing hateful about that. Mm-mm. That's, that's the game, right? That's the game. Truth. Hey, Peter, thank you for your call. I'm so glad you joined Thanks, us tonight. Peter. And, and, Peter, I have a question for you. How can you be yes. a black man? How can you be a black man and, and you still calling your church a white church? <laughs> well, I, I do. I, 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 I pastor a predominantly white church in perhaps the most conservative part of Ohio. Uh-huh. And one of the things that we have reached, I dare say, common ground, hint, hint, is that yeah, what, when we feed when we feed people we feed 400 people a month when we provide services those things cross a lot of cultural boundaries but to not to be clear that there are people out there in my congregation who have uh distinct paths that are not friendly to people whose skin has been kissed by the sun then for me that to call a spade a spade on that would put me not only in emotional jeopardy but physical jeopardy as well Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, thank you so much out. for your call. I'm so glad that, that you joined us, Dr. Peter, uh, Reverend Peter Matthews of uh, TruthWorks Network. Thank you so thank much. You, Love you both. Thanks, Dr. Me. Susan. Right. Okay, I'll talk with you. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. You see, Susan, one of the things that I think is that when people read this book, it will help them recollect and recall what really happened. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that it will help them to recollect and recall. You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think so. Let me, let me ask you about the media response to the book. None Made so far. None, None so far. far. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the, I, mean, I know the the book just hit the shelves like three weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Do you think that it will ignite more public discourse about the, that event? Because, you know, one of the things that I feel badly about, that that particular, the mainstream media has pretty much framed our, meaning our black communities, discourse about Jeremiah Wright, even though I'm so mm-hmm. glad that all of black America found Jeremiah Wright. But at the same time that we have to put up our defenses and we have to limit our understanding of this man uh, from the framework and 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 the narrative that the mainstream media has created about him. Mm-hmm. It can't all be, which is why, for those of you who are listening, uh, we're going to go out with a full 12-minute sermon delivered by Reverend Wright, and I think that you will enjoy it um, tonight on, on this program. And I hope that all of you are on Pilgrim Press or Amazon ordering this book. You will not be 
disappointed, and that includes my very good friend out there who wants me to read books to him. <laughs> and you know who I'm talking about. We'll take your calls at 347-838-9852, uh, talking with Dr. Reverend, uh, I never knew which one to go first, Reverend or Doctor? It's Reverend Doctor. Reverend Doctor Susan K. Smith, the author of the book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr. She is the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow at the Spirit House Project, and we do want to thank uh, Louise and Peter for their phone calls. Um, let me let me ask you about your work at the Spirit House Project with Ru- our friend Ruby Sales. Okay. What we've been working on is um, um, investigating um, and studying this um, the prevalence of what she what we call extrajudicial deaths of, of black people at the hands of police and or white vigilantes. Um, and she is, is very um, 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 intentional in pointing out that we're not studying black-on-black crime because when you start to talk about this, many of people will say, well, wait a minute, what about black people killing black people? That is an issue, but that's not this issue. This issue is about something, uh, she says it's modern-day lynching. This is a continuation of something that has always been a part of our history. Where people, black people, were lynched, and the and the government, the law didn't do anything about it. In fact, the law participated and it ignored it and sanctioned it, um, and it's still going on. So when you read, you know, the most the most recent cases is Alfred Wright case in in Texas, where you know they found him his ears cut off and his, and his uh, throat cut. And I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, are you kidding me? Or the the the, the incident where um, that young uh, black man was run over by the black teenagers in the, in the FBI, or of course you know Trayvon Martin, and now we've got um, um, Michael Dunn um, on trial in Florida for killing um, the Jordan kid. I mean, it keeps happening, Janice. It keeps happening. That these uh, our our black people, young black people, Renisha McBride shot in the face by a white guy who, you know, she's knocking on his door and he thinks his life is in danger. That's the standard thing. That's the standard statement. I thought my life was in danger. And that then seems to give people the excuse and the justification for blowing people away. Well, it's happening too much. And um, Ruby says, you know, we're not supposed to be silent about that. We should be we should be aware and we should be fighting it. We should be fighting staying your ground laws because the only people that are left standing are white people to kill us. So we need to um, be, uh, be, be aware of what's going on and then be motivated to do something so that we can challenge these laws, so that we can bring attention to the fact that these deaths are happening. You know, it's not my son today, but it could be my son, your son. You know, it's... It, 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 we're not removed from it. I mean, we're not just because it hasn't happened in our family yet. doesn't mean it won't. When Trayvon Martin died and, and um, was killed and, and, and Barack Obama said, you know, Trayvon Martin, you know, could have been my one. Of course, people went crazy. What are you talking about? That's the absolute truth. If you look black, if you are a, a, a black person in the wrong place at the wrong time, all you have to do is, 
present yourself and somebody can say, oh, I was in the fear for my life, and they can shoot you, and it's happening, and it is, a, it is a travesty of justice. It's a travesty of morality. It's a travesty of ethics. And so we're studying these cases. We, every time we study one, we get notification that there's another because for every one that you see, there's several more that you haven't seen or every one that you've heard about. There's several that you haven't heard about, so we're uncovering those and we'll be gathering um, uh, people in different regions of the United States to study the problem, to get some, you know, some, some, some strategies together to kind of, you know, work on what, what, mm-hmm. what's going on. But that's, that's basically what it is. It's modern-day lynching, and we, you know, we need to be aware of it and people about it. Well, that's some very important work. That's some very critical work because for Mm -hmm. those of you who are listening and you just heard that and you do not understand that in addition to the – in in, in addition to you've got a Congress whose light bulb doesn't go above five watts, you've got the prison industrial complex. You've got the education industrial complex. You've got right. you've got uh, the banking industrial complex, and you've got the congressional political industrial complex, all sitting in front of us as an impediment to not only justice but an impediment to our survival. We have we have. I, Susan, I I read something, and I can't. I don't want to over. I don't want to overinflate the issue, but I read something like forty-seven um, percent of all of the missing children in this country are African American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mind-boggling. You, Stuff that you cover, yeah. And and, and when you compare that or you bump that up against the kinds of issues that you are de- that you are addressing as part of your uh, fellows program at the Spirit House y- you wonder then we've got all of these cases with young black there four that I know of um mm-hmm. with young black people showing up dead they're the, the the circumstances under which their deaths occurred is very suspicious, and two mm-hmm. of them were found with uh, organs missing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it, the stuff that's going on. It's just it's, it's, it's it, it, exactly um, it's troubling. Yeah, it's troubling. It's troubling very much. You know, you people in the spiritual who are involved in the spiritual upliftment and enlightenment of black people in this country, you have got a huge job. Mm. Uh, this this past week we mark the 19th, what would have been the 19th birthday of Trayvon Martin. At the same mm. time we marked uh, his murderer, his cold-blooded murderer, George Zimmerman, had done a mm-hmm. painting of Trayvon Martin being embraced by his father, selling it on mm-hmm. eBay. And then a couple of days later, George Zimmerman is going to be in some kind of box, which, which I uh, discovered today, um, the boxing bout or b- 
boxing event has been canceled, uh, our plans for a boxing event has been canceled with some black rapper who probably has newspapers for brains. So mm-hmm. right. you've got a lot of work in front of you uh, to do. And um, and for an update for those of you who have been following the Marissa Alexander case, uh, she has been set for trial for July 28th uh, this summer on charges that shouldn't exist. Right. Right. So what are your plans? <laughs> How are you going to hold up the sky for us while we try to get through all of this? <laughs> well, I think that, you know, the, the, the getting the word out and keeping people aware, it's, it's, I'm hoping that that has an energy unto itself and that it'll it'll motivate um, people in whichever way people can and will be motivated to to. Be aware and be involved in whatever way they can, because like I said, it's, you know, you, you we use the phrase "but for the grace of God," and we don't know. And, and it's, I mean, it's 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 a danger. It's it's I call it American terrorism. This kind of stuff that's going on. I've always, you know, it's, it's no different. It's maybe more sophisticated than the out and out, you know, raunchy, um, overt stuff that happened. The violence that happened against black people. In the South, in the you know 19th, 20th, early 20th centuries, it may be a little less overt, but it's no less um, it's no less uh, problematic, and it's no less um, you know and it's unethical, it's wrong. So we're hoping that people will be aware and will be motivated to you know do whatever they can do to help 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 us bring it to the attention of people and try to get some changes done because it's just, you know it's no it's no less a problem now and it's, it has no less urgency than um, when Ida B. Wells Burnett was fighting against, you know, when she was trying to get Congress to pass a law against it. And I'm, if I'm correct, I think I'm correct, that the Congress never, ever, ever passed a law against lynching. Um, I think late, very recently they said oh, it was wrong, but they never passed a law against it. Well, you know, maybe there need, you need to, to be really looking at the laws that are on the books and pushing for change. It is What I'm trying to say is that it is no less a vital fight now than it was for Ida B. Rose Burnett or for Emmett Till's mother. The fight is still the same. The struggle really does continue. The issues don't change. They just get, you know, covered over a little bit. They have a little bit more sophistication, but the issues and the actions of people who are filled with hate based on race, they don't change. So we've got, we got to address it. It's not going to go away by, by looking away. It's not going to go away. I mean, that's what we have to know. It's not going away. So in order to do something, we have to be aware and we have to face the head on this clock. So we have to keep the truth to power. Truth to power. One of the things that I also hope about your book is that it gives us some ideas about how we can motivate and encourage the children in our community, black children, who are smart who are, right. have the capacity for scholarship to really begin to look at what Jeremiah Wright has done with his life and what you have done with your life. Because I think a lot of times our children don't have a, 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 a grasp of how mm-hmm. I become 
and your book is able to do that. We have one more call. We're going to take this last call before we go to break and say goodbye to Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. 803, you're on the air. Thank you. I respect you. Hi. How are you doing tonight? Good. Hi. How are you? You're all wonderful. I'm enjoying the show tonight, and I just wanted to share with, with, with you ladies some of the things that I feel um, um, that you're talking about is, is very touching. Um, also, at the same time, it's very disturbing, too, because of how our country is right now. We're so polarized on, on all sides. And I think uh, with this euphoria that we had for the first, first five years of the president's election, we just haven't came to the reality of some of the things that he had to come across uh, um, on his journey to become president. And with this book, this book has clearly given us a roadmap of what, what happened in his early walk before he became a candidate and after he became president. And so one of my concerns is is that uh, the metamorphosis of of the candidate Barack Obama is in the president Barack Obama, but now we're dealing with the Barack Obama who is trying to straddle the fence, so to speak, uh, not really lending his uh, 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 knowledge of our community more or less. Uh, in, in a sense of desperation because our community is hurting on so many different sides. Um, I'm here in South Carolina where there's still Jim Crow, and most people think that Jim Crow is over with and it's gone away, but Jim Crow exists. We have tons of economic development in our state, but it's not touching the African-American community at all. Wow. You still have high unemployment. You still have so many people who are not working in in this state. And that's, it's directly attributed to how the Tea Party thinks and how other people think today. And I think that's what, uh, um, what's happening with us right now. But um, um, this book clearly gives uh, a, a, a opinion of what uh, Barack's beginning was and to have a teacher such as Jeremiah Wright where it is a good thing. Well, I'm glad you used that word, call a teacher, because he is indeed uh, a preeminent, uh, brilliant teacher. The, the thing that bothered me mostly is that how people dogged him for no reason, and that's a man of right. God. And yeah. the thing that bothers me about people who don't have respect for ministers, that means they don't have respect for themselves. So if you can't respect a minister, how are you going to respect yourself? You know, I always look at it this way. If if God called me to be a minister, that means I'm representing God. So when you disrespect me, you're disrespecting God. Is, is that not right? Well, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, yeah that's a whole, a very, because some are called and some just come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to make a point on it because because if, if if a man of God is endorsing a, a candidate to be the president of, of of the of the free world, something something something's not right with us. Right? A, a, am I wrong for this? No, no. 
But that's a whole different. Well, that's a whole. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, that's a, whole, a real that's, thing. I'm over a cup. Yeah, that's yeah. That's I want to. I want to refer you to our program at Toothworks Network, Soul of Fire, with Dr. Matthew Johnson. If you go into the archives of that program, you will find loads of discussion on that particular issue. But thank you for highlighting the idea that this brother is a brilliant teacher and he has offered so much for us to learn. And you're in South Carolina. And I think where where everything is is masqueraded and and such oppression here and to have a show like yours is just a bright light for for those people out there who 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 are being misinformed well, by, the you, media, by the mainstream media by the mainstream media and, and what we God need to do is to have we need to have soldiers for this show we need to have people in communities who want to help us market in your community well i'll tell you what in my community there's 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 a thing called stagnation and a lot of people are so stag- stagnated because of the economic situation here and people are just, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm not going to worry about trying to push the envelope, so to speak, because I don't want to anger our counterparts because they're just going to tighten down on those screws even more. So that's what you have. You have that, you have that going on in, in, here in South Carolina. And the other thing, too, as well, is that most people that live here in South Carolina are unfamiliar with some of the things that are taking place across the country, like up in Ohio and in certain areas where the battleground states are, where they have no clue of, of, of that. Um, I do my best to try to share stuff with young people, the people that I come across in barbershops, beauty parlors, wherever I'm at. Uh-huh. Uh, my granddad was a was a Baptist minister. So uh-huh. I have that are you familiar? in my heart, too. Are you familiar for, with the – are you near Greenville? Yeah, I'm, I'm about uh, about two and a half hours from Greenville. Okay, there's a Malcolm X Center for Self-Determination in Greenville. Okay. And uh, Asia Nwanguaza, who is a very good friend of this program and one of our voices, she's been a guest here. Um, I would suggest that one of the things that you do is that you get in touch with her and try to replicate some of the community radio stuff that she's doing in South Carolina and that... Uh, you contact me via our Facebook page, uh, Our Common Ground, uh, with Janice Graham on Facebook, and sure. uh, we can talk about some stuff that you can do. Thank you so much, sir, for your call, and hope you'll stay You're with welcome. us every Saturday night. We may be oh, going yeah, on the air so. for some more days. I used to do this thing five days a week, but our our listenership went down and we just couldn't support five days a week. But, you yeah, know. It's, it's, it's a tough task, I can imagine. But yeah. um, um, you, you're, you come across so eloquently over the radio and, and, and with the knowledge that you're giving people, uh, the, the listeners will come back. Uh, okay, I, well, thank I, I you very much. That. And for those of you who are listening, if you're new to Our Common Ground, our archives are available at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. We bring the best minds, the best ideas, 
innovation and scholars to our airways. Thank you, sir, and you thank you. strong down there in South Carolina. Oh, yeah, definitely. Tell people to read the book. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to pick the book up soon. I'm going to pick the book up real soon. Make sure you go to the barbershop with the book when you get the haircut. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're going to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm going to put you... Have a good evening. Susan Smith. Yes. You have such a wonderful, wonderful background and understanding. I mean, when I heard that you had studied under Dr. Wright and you were getting ready to publish this book, I was just so very excited, and I am so very happy uh, that you did. And no, I want you. to thank you uh, for for bringing history alive for us, for helping us to trust and have faith in the people who believe in us and who understand us. Because the black truth is different from the truth that all of you hear on, even MSNBC does not deliver the black truth. And it is important that we stay grounded and keep our firmly planted in our own history because history matters. And you have brought, you are now a historian, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith, and thank you so very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the program. I really appreciate it. And you have to come back and tell us how the book is doing, and you know they're going to come after you. Well, yeah. So just lift up a prayer. I think but we got, they do we got your back, my sister. Thank you very much. But I think that's good if they come after me because that means there's dialogue and that's what needs to happen. That's right. That's right. And um, we need to talk about the work that you're doing down at Spirit House uh, Project. Ruby right. is leading the way on issues that are critical, life and death issues. We have really, as this brother pointed out, we have returned to pre-Jim Crow era. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Absolutely. So there's lots of work to be done. Absolutely. Okay. And thank you very much, and we look forward to having you come back, and we are very honored to make you an Our Common Ground voice. She is the author of the book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr., the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow at the Spirit House Project in Atlanta, Georgia, and she has brought us this groundbreaking book on the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah Wright in a technological age where the empire and its allies imagine and present black people as human race rather Mm -hmm. than heirs of God's creation, and it is a very necessary book. Thank you, Susan, so very much. And thank all of you who have been with us tonight. We'll be here next week with the Our Common Ground annual Black History Month game. Get your study on this week. 
Miles Grand will be joining me as my host. We will be presenting 25 questions, 10 points per question, and taking your calls about your answers and your scores. I'm Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time, and we thank you for being with us tonight, and we are proud to present a Jeremiah A. Wright sermon as we go out. Have a good week. And all of you people out there praying for snow, stop! so much for joining us at Our Common Ground tonight. And thanks to our guest, Reverend Dr. Susan Smith. We're leaving you tonight with a Black History Note from this noted, glorious, and grand Reverend Jeremiah A. Wright. Join us next week, the Our Common Ground annual interactive Black History game. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Part of tonight, theoretically, is taken from Bill Jones and Carter G. Woodson. Bill Jones, if you would just do a little pyramid in your programs, and where you have this big all the way across brown section, do a section smaller like stair steps going up. Draw three steps. The first step, the base of the pyramid, is theology. The second step is anthropology. And the third step is sociology. And William Augustus Jones teaches in his Lyman Beecher series lectures that theology, that's simply, you're talking about theology in the hood, that's the theme, how I see God, how I define God, how I understand God. And a person's theology, a country's theology, a culture's theology determines anthropology, how I see humans. If I see God as white and male, then I see humans as having white males hierarchically at the top. And next to white males, white females. And next to white females, brown males. Then next to brown males, brown females. And then red, males, females, red. All the way down the bottom is the black. Anthropologically, I look at other humans based on how I see God. And then that is the third Step in the triangle, how I see humans anthropologically is how I order my society, sociology. My theology determines my anthropology, and my anthropology determines my sociology. What do those big words mean? Those big words mean if I see God as a God who loves white people and hates black people, then I can sociologically have a country where I worship God in the church on Sunday morning wearing a black robe and put on a white robe at night and lynch a nigga don't make no difference because God blesses that. I can put together a constitution that defines you as non-human beings. I can sleep with your women, make babies by your women, but say you all don't have sense enough to go to school. Somebody say Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. That's also called pedophilia. You all laughed at Michael. You laughed at Michael Jackson because he was sleeping, accused of sleeping with somebody underage. Thomas Jefferson was sleeping with Sally Hemings. She was 15. He's really the father of the country. I call them not, not, not founding fathers. I call them fondling fathers. How they see God determines how they see humans, and how they see humans determines how they order their society. Now, that's the problem. Last night, you were laughing at it, but go back to where we were last night. When I was talking last night about the mission schools, when what happened after slavery, 
after slavery was ended. Thousands of schools were set up in the South. It was a massive refugee problem. Refugee problem, why? Because as I mentioned last night, Africans were not allowed to be taught to read or to write. So you had over four million freedmen, they called them, who could not read or could not write. They could not do anything but farm. So sharecropping became the second slavery, and convict lease system became the second slavery. To address that problem, missionaries went into the South from the Anglican Church, St. Paul College in Virginia, from the Presbyterian Church, Johnson C. Smith University in North Carolina, from the Baptist Church, Morehouse, Spelman, Virginia Union, from the Methodist Church, Allen, what else y'all got down there? From the AME Zion Church, Livingston and Hood. All of those schools were set up right after slavery. Look at the founding dates. From 1865 to 1878, all of those schools were set up by missionaries. Missionaries went, did a wonderful job. They, they went down there, our denomination, the Congregational Church of New England, set up over 500 schools to teach Africans. And the schools were self-contained just like they are today on campuses with water running through the campus so you didn't have to go off. You could grow your plants there. You could wash your clothes there, get water for cooking there. In fact, the teachers, missionaries, were not welcomed off the campus. They were looked at as carpetbaggers. The students went on campus at the, at the end of the planting season and then they didn't come off to harvest season. The schools were on an agricultural cycle. Of those 500 schools my denomination set up, today we have eight that are still in existence. You know them by the name of Howard University, Fisk University, Dillard University, Talladega, Tougaloo in Mississippi, Lemoyne Owen in Memphis, Tennessee, and Houston Tillerson in Austin, Texas. Those schools were taught by missionaries. And the missionaries did what I showed you last night. The missionaries taught you how to sing your songs their way. As concertized, anthemically arranged, beautifully acceptable, spirituals acceptable to the dominant culture. And when they went south, they taught their culture. Their culture, remember, is superior to yours. Because we see God as creating us superior to yours. It's called white supremacy. You have no culture, you have no literature, you have no music, you have no authors. We got Shakespeare, we have Tennyson, we have Wordsworth, we have Longfellow, who do you have? We have Tchaikovsky, Rizikorsky, Beethoven, Franz, Litz, Haydn, who do you have? They thought that they were superior and they taught us that they were superior and that if we wanted to be educated, we had to learn how to be superior as they were. They taught us that your culture, your African culture, all that stuff y'all doing, all them drums and beating and moving, that's ignorant. That's pagan. You want to show emotions, use your elbows. Sometimes I feel like a Prior to the end of slavery, nobody could read, right? So if you couldn't read, what you going to do with a bulletin? In fact, y'all got an order of worship. 7 p.m. devotional period. 10.55 prelude. 11 o'clock processional. When you couldn't read, what y'all do? You sing a little bit, moan a little bit, testify a little bit, shout a little bit, lift an offering, lift another offering, sing a little bit more, preach, you just have church. Why? Because Europeans operate on two words in your Bible for time. 
K-R, write that down, K-R-O-N-O-S, chronos. That's the Greek word for chronos from chronological. Europeans operate on chronological time. Africans operate on kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, kairos time. That's when it's right. That's when it happened. South Africa, they had the kairos document when it happened. Chronos time, all you women that had babies when you went to your doctor, when was your last menses? January 22nd. Chronologically, the baby will be here September 22nd. That's Chronos time. Guess when the baby comes? When you get ready. <laughs> might be August, might be September 1st, might be October. Right now, right now, he's talking about, I heard him announce, uh, Pastor Odin announced, we're having a prayer breakfast on Saturday morning. What time is the prayer breakfast? 8 o'clock. But Friday night, when service is over, we're having... We're going to have a party. Revival, all the revival committee going to have a party to celebrate this revival. What time is the party, Pastor Odin? The party's at 9 o'clock. Pastor Odin and Sister Odin will be the only ones there at 9 o'clock. Because y'all don't go to parties like that. Y'all go 11, 11.30. <laughs> and when you're having a party, nobody asks, well, what time is the party over? It's over when it's over. Same thing with church. Nobody start at 10.55 prelude. You start when you start and it's over when it's over. Now, here's another problem you got. You got, not only you got a bulletin, you all been singing these songs like last night. Y'all sing. some of y'all answer me, just common meter song, long meter song, short meter song. Y'all just be singing on and on and on. And when you finish singing, you don't know how to stop the song. You just keep moaning. <laughs> no. Here we now have a hymnal. You didn't need no hymnal before slavery was over. You couldn't read. Now we have a hymnal. And in this hymnal, please, don't do like Chip Mary's people down there. Listen, Chip Mary, they start singing a song, and then somebody, Sister Watson, pick up a verse she heard her grandmama sing. And down there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you pick up some verse ain't nobody up here heard. No, 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 no. There are four verses to this hymn. We will sing four verses, and that's the end of the song. We cut the song off. And if you notice the last word in the song, just like you heard Pastor Bryant, good AMA say it, is amen. Amen. Not amen. Amen. No, amen. And that's the end of that song. And stop talking back to the preacher when he's trying to preach. <laughs> Sit quietly and learn how to use amen eyes. And who y'all be waving at? Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that. Come. 